1: Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast and with me today I have Tim Chester. Tim, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. To talk with you again. Yes, it's great to have you. Well, can you uh, just catch us up on what's been going on in your life, marriage, ministry? What are you working on uh, writing project-wise these days? I uh,
0: can't remember uh, what I said last time I was on, but uh, I'm pastoring a small church in uh, rural North Yorkshire, a place called Barrowbridge, uh, and uh, that's really a delight. It's a lovely church. I'm, I, I really love my little church. Uh, we're just in the beginnings of thinking about planting into a new area, grown so we're about 40 adults, but uh, there's tremendous need that North Yorkshire is perhaps the least evangelised region of the United Kingdom and so we're uh, keen to plant little communities of light across North Yorkshire, so we're just in the middle of actually talking to somebody that we hope might come and be the work that my wife and I have been going over. We've been sort of starting a Bible study of about 15-20 people in a neighbouring town and uh, we would love to be able to plant a church there. So uh, ter- that's uh, church-wise, in terms of writing, what's going on. I've got a book on John Stott coming out in the middle of next year, and I'm just finishing a book. I wrote a book uh, that came out last year, was it last year, uh, uh, called Enjoying God. And I went to the publishers with an idea for a book about the local church, really just a sort of um, peer of praise to the local church, and how it is a means of grace to us, and how we might just change some of the ways we think in order to enjoy it to the full. And uh, they, they rather cunningly t- suggested that I might call it Enjoying Church and uh, that we might start it as a kind of follow-up. So that's coming out. That's sort of with the editor at the moment and that should be coming out in the Term of
1: next year. Oh, wonderful. Well, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to the to the John Stott book and to the follow-up to Enjoying God. Can you tell us a little bit about this book? Uh, it'll come out here when this goes up. Uh, the Truth We Can Touch, How Baptism and Communion Shape Our Lives, Why You Wrote It, and How You Hope It'll Be Received.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I love this book. Uh, it's um, I think it's some of the best stuff I've written. I, I think it's uh, and it's been a kind of long time in the making i've been mulling these issues for a long time in fact you know i was in some ways i mean the first time i ever spoke as a sort of young teenager i was on the subject of communion and i was even then i think i was sort of feeling my way towards these issues but certainly over the last five ten years i've been thinking a lot about this and this it's all kind of come together in this book and what it's trying to do is it's, trying, it's a couple of things i think that come together in the book. One is. Uh, that, I, I think when, when we talk about baptism and communion, so often it's about it's the old debates about uh, are you pedo-baptist or creed baptist Do you baptise babies or do you only baptise on the basis of freshman of faith? And important to think, discussions to be had of course, but I, uh, my fear is that we don't we never get much beyond that and that actually the baptism and communion are God's gift to us to help us live the Christian life and to be his people. And so what I've really tried to do in the book is explore how it is that they are to shape our lives day by day. So take baptism, it's a danger that it's this thing that we did either when we were a, a, a baby, if you were a Peter Baptist, or when you first became a Christian, if you were a Creed Baptist, and that uh, it just somehow belongs in the past and doesn't really have any relevance to day-to-day life. And it's not how it's treated in the New Testament. It's treated as this uh, act that continues to shape your identity. And the same is with communion. It's God's it's gift it's to, it to us, uh, to sustain us and to encourage us and to assure us. And so I really wanted to tease out in the book how it is that these things shape our daily lives, so that we truly value them and treasure them. I think they're a little bit like the Cinderella's of of the evangelical world. And then related to that is this issue about why water, bread, and wine? Why didn't Jesus say, think this in remembrance of me? Or even say this in remembrance of me? Uh, Why is it that actually we have these very tangible, physical acts? And I'm trying to sort of answer that question. So I hope it's a book that will uh, give people a Deeper and richer sense and uh, of the sacraments, we we'll treasure them. I think that uh, it, we, I think there's a strange thing going on. We've got in, in evangelicals, there's this um, almost the sacraments are seen as this kind of no-go area where you, if you if you get a bit too interested in them, then that's a little bit dodgy, and and that's just a tragedy because they are Christ's gift to us. At the same time, I think uh, at grassroots level, people do treasure them, particularly for communion, and I want to try and articulate for people uh, articulate
1: why that is for people in you know, a yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You know, we we do often focus on the debates, you know, about baptism and and miss the real heart of what the Lord's Supper and communion is about. And he and he said something really really significant. And I I, I would argue is one of the reasons why we have the issues we do. And uh, you know, these are identity forming uh things, baptism and, and the Lord's Supper. Um I would I would argue that uh in Christianity today we we have a problem with um and I hear this in my email um, over and over again whenever I talk with Christians they, they don't understand who they are in Christ and we have an identity crisis I think in the, in the church um, because people don't understand who they are in in Christ
0: yeah yeah and I think in a sense well yeah exactly and that's what they're for they are well that's yeah, one of the things they're for they're for forming identity and that's particularly baptism I think a baptism yeah, I think the imagery of marriage I think really helps with baptism it, a wedding does it, you know, a marriage is more than a wedding uh, it's a relationship of love but a wedding is, is very important a wedding doesn't Make you fall in love, but it's really important in redefining the nature of your relationship and cementing that for a lifetime. And that's what commun- that's what baptism is about. Doesn't sort of, uh, as it were, to, you know, doesn't make you fall in love. It doesn't create the relationship that you have with Christ, but it is really important in forming that into a fixed identity and uh, giving you the framework uh, for that to be a lifelong uh, a, a relationship and um, and
1: yeah kind of touching on the baptism point you make it you make an important point in the book about from romans 6 uh, 3 through 4 where we've been buried with where with christ and and risen with christ and 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 you talk about how we're supposed to live that out in light of our new identity in in christ and you know how that how we've been we're we're dead to sin made alive together with Christ so we don't just go back to you know again being to our old nature we we instead uh, grow in our in our new identity and and i really appreciate that because I th- there's a lot of misunderstanding about that particular point and and people i i hear i know you do as well uh, about assurance, and this is why people. This is one of the things I keep going back with people on. Is just this is this is the foundation for how you you know continue to persevere and and grow in your assurance of salvation. Yeah, and I think part
0: of the problem is we have our culture surrounding culture is very voluntaristic and individualistic. Which means that it's all about me and what I do and what I think and the way I feel. And that we then sort of import that into the way we view baptism. So we have a view of baptism, for many people, that is very much about me. Baptism is an expression of my choice, my decision, my faith, Uh, but actually there's an element in which that's true, but fundamentally baptism is a divine act. It is something that God does, it is God's promise to you in physical form, it's a that comes through the gospel preached and then it comes, sort of it's reinforced, sealed the sort of old Russian language Uh, with the gospel sacrament and uh, what baptism does is what happens in baptism is God is confirming his promises to you, the promises that you've received in the gospel and uh, even the very language of you don't baptise yourself, you are baptised it's a passive form of the verb and it's because baptism is a passive act, you don't do it, it is done to you and that's all there to, and it comes in a sort of physical form, Uh, just so you've got this sort of not just so, so you hear it but so you actually um, feel it and taste it and touch it as it were and that means this promise just comes with an extra sort of solidity and uh, certainty and the reformers were so and the puritans they were so strong on this they had such a sort of keen sense of this that that we god in his kindness is giving us his promises not just through words so of course through words centrally most first and foremost through words but not just through words because of our frailty we need to have it in this physical form as well so that we have uh, greater confidence in our
1: salvation yeah absolutely I, I love seeing people baptize because it reminds me of my baptism it, it reminds me of, of who I am in Christ and you know that, that should be encouraging that's something to celebrate that's something that should cause us to give thanks to the Lord for you know saving us and it should cause us to see hey how are we doing now um you know as as baptized christians you know we we're publicly identifying in baptism with the community of faith and so how are we doing with that like are we or are we just kind of giving lip service to it and walking through the motions and you know um that kind of brings me to to the lord's supper one one thing that i i tell people and um it is you know lord the lord's supper it should be, I mean, it is, I, I believe, should be weekly, um, and there's lots of reasons for that, but, you know, it, it's the, the very act of the Lord's Supper, we should be preparing for it every day. And I think in terms of, I would love to see more discussion on that, to living from, we would we would have less problems, I think. Christians' assurance, um, if if they would be examining themselves, as Lamentations three forty says, and returning to the Lord, so they would be, you know, repenting of their sin and using the availing themselves of the means of grace and growing to be who they who they are in in Christ and walking by the Spirit. Those types of things.
0: Yes, although I'm just wary of making it about me again, and and so this uh, so that the Lord's Supper is is about me doing some act of repentance that gets me back on track. It, it, there's a- Element in which that's true, and I, you know, that, that's part of it, but primarily, this it, it is Christ's gift to me, it's His promise given to me in bread and wine, it's His presence for me. Uh, it, it, so, so, or not just for me, but for us as a community of people as we gather. God is doing something to us. It's not us doing something to God or for God. This is God doing something for us. He's giving us His Son, His presence, His promises in a uh, tangible way that, that is there given to us to reassure us, to nurture our faith, to strengthen our faith and uh, to enable us to keep going as we stumble through life.
1: Absolutely. We we, we need Christ. We need, we need Him. We Need uh, we need him all all down you know down to the to, to the nanosecond and maybe maybe you can uh, help us understand what are what are some of the Im- implications that flow from the communal nature of communion? Uh, I, I think communion and, and the Lord's uh, baptism and the
0: Lord's supper are, are both communal acts. We are ba- you're, you're baptized into the church, uh, and communion is a way in which. You know, the, the community of the church, the local church, is not formed because of human beings make covenants or have membership packs or whatever. It's created by the cross. That's what it, that's what brings us together. That's what breaks down all the dividing walls of hostility. And then that is kind of enacted or uh, it's made real for us in our experience through communion. We, though we are many, are one body because we all share in the one loaf. In this act of sharing in communion, which is a kind of sharing in Christ, sharing in his death and the benefits of his death uh, we are formed and reformed and um, renewed as God's community, as God's people. Um, and so in a sense that's the primary thing I want to say. I, I I'll add some things in a moment but those are all secondary that's the primary thing and that's what creates this shared life that we have uh, the life of our church communities is not something we have to achieve we don't have to pull off being a great church it's something that is given to us it's given to us through the cross, it's given to us through the fellowship of the spirit the fellowship that the spirit creates uh, but one of the central ways in which that takes place in our experience is through sharing in bread and wine together um, but that does, that does have some implications flow from that I, I think that um, baptism is how you join the church and communion is how you express belonging to the church and so I think that communion is for those who have been baptised and actually it's so it's, it's a way communion becomes a way of expressing reconciliation when uh, when you fall out with people and that happens of course in church life sharing communion together is a way of expressing your reconciliation with one another on the other side of that it's also a way of expressing church discipline when someone's not living in a way that's consistent with truths that have been expressed in their baptism then uh, communion is or well, Exclusion, ex excommunication me- literally means excommunion, excommunioning. It's, uh, it's excluding someone from communion, and so that's and I think that's actually quite important um, in our evangelism because uh, certainly in the life of our church, we want unbelie unbelievers to be part of our life. We want them to be exposed to the Christian community to share in our life. We want them to be at our meetings. Uh, And to sort of share in all the things that we do With one exception And that one exception is communion That's in a sense where we draw the line And we say this is for those who have put their faith in Christ And who have uh, been baptized And uh, so that then becomes a point of Where you call people to actually make a decision And to decide whether they are in or out Whether they are with Christ or not Yeah, that's
1: that's really a helpful answer Um, How does communion offer the possibility of re-enchanting our world With a moment of transcendence and a glimpse of heaven
0: yes I think this is uh, I so struck by this I think we in our culture we live in a um, what the uh, friend, uh, the um, Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor calls uh, the imminent frame and I like to think of it as a little bit like a picture frame we, we uh, the picture that we see when we look out on the world is uh, a picture within a picture frame and so all that we see uh, we, 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 we only we, we it's this that we live in a closed world closed off by the picture frame and um and even as christians we can kind of get into that way of thinking we know that god made the world and we probably have some sense that he intervenes in that world he answers prayer and so on but that's seen as the exception rather than the rule and you know even 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 who sort of like to emphasize miracles are are still operating within this kind of framework because the miracle is, you know, it's as if God is absent most of the time and then you pray for a miracle and God turns off and does something and then goes off again. Whereas actually, uh, we live in a world that is just... Full of His grace, it's a world that is gifted to us. It's a world that He continues to rule in His providence. It's a world in which He lavishes His kindness on us day by day. It's a world that there is just a redundancy of, of grace and beauty and, and love. You know, there's just—it's it, just gone dark. and I'm looking. I'm, I'm sat at my desk looking out of my window. It's just gone dark. But but you know, not long ago, I saw. A, I took what I saw. I saw a murmuration of starlings. You know what a murmuration of starlings is? It's a starling is a bird, and uh, particularly this time of year in the evening they gather together in these huge flocks and they move it's, it's, it's magical really it's magical they, they move in sync somehow in sync nobody knows how but they do it they move in sync and so you what, what you get in the... Uh, in the air is this sort of a cloud of black dots that is then twisting and twirling. It's just, it's, it's, it's magical. And I use the word deliberately. It's kind of magical. And this is this is the world that God has created. It's just full of his wonder. And I think in a sense what communion is designed to do, one of the things it's designed to do is to alert us that this is a world in which God is present. Because it's my conviction that Christ is present in the communion, not physically, obviously, uh, but spiritually, by his spirit, so that actually we receive Christ, we commune with Christ. It's his table. He is the host. That's Paul's language. He talks about the Lord's table in uh, in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 10, sorry. And uh, we are invited to sit and eat with uh, with Christ. And so this communion, then, is this sort of, window' it's sort tip of the iceberg really where we have a sense of God's presence in our world that is then actually meant to alert us to, to his presence throughout his world and throughout our day as it were so that we live in a in a fathered world in a Christ present world a kind of magical place which is full of the wonder of a um, wonderful God
1: that's uh that's really really helpful how is the Lord's Supper a means where our Christian character is formed and how is the Lord's Supper part of our training ground as Christians?
0: Yes, I think um, I think. That- Maybe the best way into this is to tell... This is a quote from George Orwell, who was um, a writer. Or, in fact, he's, yeah, he's famous for um, writing 1984 and Animal Farm. It's two sort of great famous novels from the 20th century. He was a great essayist. And uh, he, in his book, A Road to Wigan Pier, he describes how um, he was he was brought up in the English uh, public school system and in the sort of rather perverse way of these things. Yeah, an English public school is not a public school, it's a private school. And it's a, it's a just extremely elite school. And he said that uh, long after I spent spent hours and hours in classrooms learning Greek and Latin, I very quickly forgot that. But it took me years and years to kind of, and he said, and I never never really kind of shook it up, but I learned to be a snob. Is that, is that a US term? Does that mean anything to you? A snob, you know are a snob is? Someone that's maybe. stuck up um, Someone who's stuck up Yeah Someone who thinks that their social class Is superior to any other social class That's basically Someone who looks down on everybody else That's what an English public school A very elite school taught you To look down on everybody else So, And that's what This is what George Orwell was saying And he said But here's the point was never on the curriculum uh there was no subject you know it was just in the culture and yet that's what that's what he learned more than any greek or latin verbs and tables and vocab and everything in other words the point is what so often what is formative for us what we learn is not just what we are taught in a formal kind of teaching session but the culture the way things are done that that profoundly shapes us. And that's the same, that's true in the church as well. So of course we are discipled and we learn and we grow through the preaching of the word. That's absolutely central. But we learn through the culture of the church as well, for good or bad. And one of the most sort of formative things that we can do, that we do do, is share communion together. So that as we, week week by week, or however often it's done, as we share bread and wine, it's as if we are um, reenacting the gospel story, the gospel message. We are reminding ourselves of who we are, uh, we are learning habits and dispositions and attitudes as we are as we rehearse the uh, all that Christ has done for us, but then are profoundly formative for us.
1: Yeah, that that's really helpful. Well, Tim, can work can people uh, go to learn more about you on social media or find more of your writing? Uh...
0: Uh, so I have a blog which I do every now and then, which is timchester.co.uk, and that also is linked to a Twitter account, which is @timchester_co_uk. Um,
1: same thing without the dots, so yeah. Or well, we just search Timchester in Google, and um, my books are on Amazon and, and the like. Excellent. Well, just uh, just wrapping this up. Uh, you know, there there is a lot to talk about when we talk about baptism and communion. Uh, and do you have any uh, takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, I think I want to, I really want people to treasure
0: their baptism and Mm communion and not to sort of get diverted just by some of the debates, but to really treasure these things as God's gracious gift to us, to nurture our faith, to reassure our doubting hearts. We have
1: so many reasons to doubt. You know, every time we sin, that gives us a reason to doubt. Uh, the, the
0: the assault of our culture with its lies, sort of all pervasive, and it's very hard to avoid that. Now, we have uh, Satan on our back all the time, using these things to um, to weaken us and to bring us down. And God, in His kindness, has given baptism and communion to strengthen our faith and to reassure us. And in a very physical, powerful void, uh, uh, form, in water, bread, and wine, and really just to see that, to treasure that. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I. That's what I long to see.
1: What's Uh, I just want to thank you for your time today and for the excellent uh, work that you've done in this book and and throughout our conversation.
0: Uh, Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, ServantsOfGrace.org.